The following is a production of the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. Demacek puts Cole Custer into the wall. They both stay on the throttle. Now they're beginning to crash. One truck goes sliding wildly. One truck is in the air. Matt Crafton upside down. The Motor Racing Network presents the tough trucks of NASCAR. 25 years and still trucking. Get the line. Mike Skinner wins it by two one-hundredths of a second. He was too bullheaded to let me pass him, and I was too bullheaded to let him have it. Brendan Gunn wins in his own backyard at the Las Vegas. Fans were in. We partied in the race shop for hours. It was a wild party night. Now here's Sprague going for second. He and Hornaday come together. Now Hornaday goes around, slams into the wall. To this day, he can't tell me if I ever spun him out. Because I can save it better than him. I told you he was going to yeah. say that back. I told you. From the Motor Racing Network studios in Concord, North Carolina. Here is your host, Mike Bagley. Welcome back to MRN Presents, the Tough Trucks of NASCAR. 25 years and still trucking. I'm Mike Bagley. In the past six episodes, we've heard a little bit of everything from the series beginnings to memorable finishes and memorable championships. On this episode, we discuss the personalities who have made the truck series unique. And we start with a gentleman who's been racing in NASCAR's National Series for 30 years and always did it his way. Norm Benning may not have championships and be a household name, but he has the respect of everyone who's ever raced against him. There's tons of contact, but Norm Benning is going to rim ride around the outside of the Eldora Speedway. He will hang on for fifth spot with Greenfield missing the event's feature by just inches. Norm has always done things on his own. Starting his own race team, finding his own people for his pit crew, and finding his own sponsors on a week-to-week basis. Norm says he has to work hard to compete with the teams who have unlimited funding and has relied on an interesting way to make it all these years. Well, a lot of volunteers, basically. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've been to the mountaintop. I used to have Sobe. Things were great. We had, we had 15 full-time people and uh, the big hauler and everything you needed. And then it, it's really tough to take a step backwards. But uh, like I said, I'm just, I just love driving those things. I'd much rather just be driving for somebody, but you've got to be 18 to do that and daddy's money. Fellow racer Mike Wallace says the standout thing about Norm is his attitude, even when most would give up. The, the ultimate short track racer of uh, desire and passion and never give up attitude. I, I met him many, many years ago before, I think it was an ARCA race, and uh, if I got my facts right, he was out of Pennsylvania. I had had a sponsor out of Pennsylvania, FDP Brakes Products, that I, I'd won some races with, and somehow there was a nucleus. They kind of knew each other a little bit, but not a lot, and Norm was just, he just reminded me, always, always nice, always just happy to be there, happy. He reminds you, the ultimate racer. That, hey, I don't have everything everything you got, but I'm racing on the same racetrack you are. MRN's Alex Hayden. He is what the truck series is all about, in my opinion. Uh, just a, a, a cool guy because a lot of people don't know Norm Benning. He was a uh, an airline pilot and did a lot of private commercial fly, or private flying and uh, for high-end people. And, and he was just super smart. But he just loved racing, and he found a way, because that's what the Truck Series is, it's not the top-of-the-line, high-finance deal. It can be. You can spend as much money as you want to, but you don't have to to, to compete in, in, the, in the Truck Series. And Norm Bidding, more times than not, he was the only one uh, that was driving his pickup truck. It was a dually pickup truck with a, a gooseneck trailer on it. It wasn't a big 18-wheeler semi-truck like everybody else had. He'd be putting down the road by himself but he had his faithful dog with him and he his his poor old dog passed away just a couple of years ago but uh he is just norm and his dog in the front seat of their pickup truck crisscrossing america going to each truck series race he would uh he would get some some people he'd recruit them at the racetrack and and have volunteer pit road guys and believe me they had to piece together fire suits and helmets and uh they didn't match they didn't look like they knew what they were doing because they didn't know what they were doing uh, a pit stop for the Truck Series top teams. They'd come in and rip off four tires and a couple of cans of fuel in, in 13 seconds or so. And Norm's in there for 18 or 19 seconds. And nobody laughed at him. Nobody. The other, the, uh, the other peers, the competitors, the other pit crews, nobody laughed. There, there were times uh, watching the pit road that the leaders would make their stops and go on out. And Norm's there with just a couple of guys. And you got to change four tires and jack it up and put gas in it 
with just two or three guys that were all volunteers that didn't know what they were doing. And I've seen more than once pit crew members from some of the top teams that were pitted either just in front or just behind Norm Benning. They would literally run out there and help their team. They wouldn't take over the spot, uh, the, the pit stop. They would just go out and help the guys who were doing it. They'd pick the, the, the wheels up and bring them back for them. They'd pull the wheel off on the left side and put the other one on while the, the, the Norm Bidding volunteer crew member was tightening them up with the air wrench. Uh, everybody respects and respected Norm Bidding out on the racetrack, and, and to this day they still do. MRN's Woody Kane. You know, one of the cool things about Norm that I remember very much is if you looked uh, in, in recent years, he's had a little picture on the post of his car or his truck uh, of his dog that passed away. And the dog used to go everywhere with him, even to the racetrack, hang out at the shop all the time. He loved that dog. Uh, and, and about the time that my dog was getting sick and not far from uh, passing away, uh, I was talking to him in the garage one day and asking him about the picture of the dog. And he was telling me the story about how the dog was always, always around everywhere he went at the racetrack. That dog today is buried in his front yard. There's like a little uh, a little display thing out there, and it's got some lights with it, the dog's name, all that stuff. That dog has a place of honor better than a lot of people do because they were very, very tight, and it was a big, big part of Norm and who he was. And, uh, you know, you think a lot of these guys is rough, gruff personalities and don't have time for the, the, the sweeter things in life, so to speak, with a little dog, but he did, and he loved that dog. Boy, you could really tell it. He got a little tear in his eye telling the story. Norm says the love for his dog started the second he laid eyes on it. My daughter had turtles. We went to a flea market and got these little turtles that turned into be about three pounds and uh, stunk. Which, anyway, we were going for turtle food and Harry was there. He laid eyes on us and just went crazy and then the girl that was there, it's kind of funny, she said, you don't want that dog. He'll never be a lap dog. Nobody likes it's a skipper key. He's from Belgium. He's from Belgium. And uh, they're not, they don't have a good reputation. They look like little foxes. He was 20 pounds, but he turned out to be my best friend. Uh, he traveled over 400,000 miles with me, all but 11 states. Never cared how I finished in a race. He was always waiting for me when I got back to the hall. Or, uh, he was three months from being 15 years old in this some reason it's kind of normal with those dogs and kittens just quit in three days he was gone but he was a great dog and everybody that owns a dog knows you know, it's just, he's he's buried in the front yard at the house there now i just keep trying his front yard what keeps norm going his pure love of racing even after decades i love i, I absolutely love crawling in those trucks and racing them I, i'm not real fond of all, everything else you have to do to do that but i don't like the Traveling down the highway or the going through inspection and all that stuff, but I just when I'm competitive, I, I just absolutely love it. There's only certain places where I am: you know, Talladega, Daytona, Eldora, the road course, short tracks. Brendan gone gets turned around and slams hard into the inside retaining wall. Running five trucks is asinine and a little upsetting right now, but hey, we'll end up second, third, fourth, something like that in the championship and. Uh, you know, for a team based out of Las Vegas, we're not half bad. One of the biggest personalities the Truck Series has ever seen is Brendan Gaughan, a Las Vegas native whose family owns South Point Hotel and Casino. Gaughan's welcoming persona helped him fit in in the garage. I grew up in the deserts. I've been I've been in the desert since I was a baby playing with dirt castles, watching my father race. And I, I was fortunate enough that I got to race off-road cars. I wanted to be an IndyCar driver. You know, if you look at the history of the world pre-Craftsman Truck Series, Gander Mountain Outdoor Series, wherever, off-road guys went IndyCar racing. Rick Mears, Parnelli Jones, Robbie Gordon, all those guys were off-road guys, and we transitioned to IndyCar. And so I was teaching at, at road courses, doing, doing open-wheel stuff and sports car stuff and doing testing for, you know, the Trans Am Series. And I was really – I wanted to race, but I was really looking at, at – the open wheel side yes for those listening my fat butt used to be an open wheel guy um now it wouldn't have enough vaseline and you know butter to get me in um but so that was what i wanted to do and in 95 two things happened the irl was formed and the truck series was formed and the irl scared the scared the poop out of us you know you watch these guys that that were in cars that weren't very safe 
and a lot of guys were injured and some even killed early on in the IRL. And the truck series took off, and Walker Evans was doing the trucks. So that was the, the paradigm shift for my life was going to the truck side. And it started because the IRL and the trucks were at the same time, and, and Walker did the trucks, and it just shifted me to the NASCAR angle. Gone debuted in the truck series in 1997. And while he raced in Xfinity and the Cup Series over the years, the tough trucks of NASCAR are where he was most successful. But your winner tonight is Brendan Gaughan. For the fifth win of the year, Brendan Gaughan wins in his own backyard at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway. MRN pit reporter Steve Poe says the fact that Brendan didn't have to be a racer to make a living, but was a racer because that's what he wanted to do, earned him more respect. Brendan's just always bubbly, always exciting. And I remember when he came into the truck series with that Orleans team, and uh, whatever it was, we went to, he, he was always a good competitor, and then he got on that string down in Texas where every time you'd roll into Texas and he'd have that truck just hooked up to the fence and just haul around that racetrack. And that kind of kind of gave him credibility. He was a great talker, great guy. Everyone loved him. But winning those races, that, that puts you in a different platform. That gives you street cred, if you will. And so once he got that, then he became one of the guys we would always seek out in the garage area to talk to about the racetracks and you know tell me what this is like tell me what that's like how do the trucks do this and how the trucks do that a couple things that always struck me about brendan was the truck series races in vegas it was always he always considered it his role to be the welcome wagon for everybody and so yeah we'd go down to his dad's casino most people would stay there at his dad's casino along the way but more than that, his race shop was right out on the Speedway Complex at the time before he before he closed down the team and, and, and started driving for teams here on the East Coast. And you would go over there, and there was 8 or 10 or 12 trucks all in that race shop, different teams, just working in that race shop. And it was just because and it was because Brendan wanted you there. He wanted to, to be there, and, you know, he knew where the best places to go for lunch were and uh, where he was going to take the guys for here and that. And then... He would always, um, and then the way he, uh, the, so the way he was within the garage area for those Las Vegas races was he had a sincere, uh, sincereness and sincerity to him uh, about wanting everyone to be there and do it. And then really when it came to even even cross promoting the races, I know I talked to Chris Powell, who is the president out at the out at the Las Vegas track uh, when I was out there for one of the truck races, and and Chris said whatever we need Brendan to do to promote this race, the answer is yes. I mean, he is all in, and I think that's one of the things that is so. It's it's great to have a guy that's it's great to have a guy that's a great quote machine. It's great to have a guy that has all kinds of personality. But uh, here's a guy that here's a guy that was all in on all aspects of it. You know, whatever whatever the South Point Casino can do to help you, or the Orleans, or whatever whoever he was with at the time, whoever's dad's casino. Uh, if I need to, uh, you know, if I need to, 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 to give away some tickets, if I need to go to every radio station in Las Vegas, I'll do it. And I think that was the thing, and that's part of Brendan's passion for it. So, and and that's the one thing I'll say, even to this day. Uh, Brendan is just a big old hairy bundle of passion, and uh, that's just uh, he's just he's just a fun guy to talk to about anything. Mike Wallace, Mr. Vegas, he he's incredibly polite, always very polite to my family, which I really respect. He always, you ever watch Brendan, uh, watch his characteristics. If uh, he's being introduced to a family, he's always got a hat on. He always takes his hat off and kind of I give it, call it gives the cowboy nod. You know, Cowboys always take their hat off. But full of energy, full of excitement, fun, just crazy fun to be around. I actually got to know Brennan and his family, surprisingly, more than others. His uh, Mr. Gone allowed me to fly with him on a few different occasions from Phoenix back to Vegas. And can't, can't travel any nicer than that, I can tell you that. But uh, Brennan has got that Las Vegas showman in him. And I mean that in such a great confident way and his personality is so nice so uh, again I judge people off of my experiences and my experiences only and incredibly polite to my family and myself always made me feel older because he's always around the crowd he goes hey Mr. Wallace how you doing and I was like, come on man and uh, a cool dude and fast 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 gone is known as a jack of all trades and has a lot of experiences under his belt something MRN booth announcer Alex Hayden knows well what a character it- Talk about somebody who has literally seen and done more than just about any on this planet Earth. I mean, 
with the, the family business out in Las Vegas, Nevada, with the casinos and the gaming industry and the hotels and the hospitality industry, to going to Georgetown University and, and being a part of, of Coach John Thompson's famed Georgetown Hoyas basketball team, being roommates with, with the great Allen Iverson, Brendan Gaughan. I mean, he had so many different stories and so much energy. Uh, it's hard for a a 10-year-old to keep up with Brendan Gunn. That's how much you're, and still to this day, uh, that's the type of energy he has. But man, oh man, was he good. You, you kind of thought, okay, is this a guy that's just wanting to get out and have some fun as a racer and maybe do this as a hobby? That kind of came across a lot of people's minds when he first came into the to the truck series. But once he uh, stood on that loud pedal with the right foot, the eyes opened up and the eyebrows raised and it's like, oh my. Uh, this guy's for real. Uh, and the string of wins he pulled off at, at, at Texas Motor Speedway was just incredible. And, and with he and Shane Wilson, his crew chief, they were uh, the dynamic duo in, in the truck series. Once they got together and, and started winning races, they were the team to beat everywhere they went. Uh, he was also the, the fun guy to be around. Um, quick, funny, funny story with Brendan Gone. We were racing uh, out in Phoenix not too terribly long ago. And uh, there were, were, were different uh, drivers racing in, in the truck series. And, and that's what's cool about the truck series is the, the diversity we had in there. But um, there was a driver named Herman Quiroga uh, was racing hard uh, with, with Brendan. They got together, depending on which side uh, of the story you want to listen to. If you're listening to Herman, it was Brendan's fault. If you listen to Brendan, it was Herman's fault. But either way, they crashed and got together. Uh, up in what is now turns three and four, the old one and two, uh, out at ISM Raceway in Phoenix. And neither one of them were able to continue on. They couldn't refire their trucks and drive away. So Brendan was fired up, and he was mad. And this goes to the intelligence and the education Brendan Gone has that a lot of people don't know. He got out of the truck, went right over to the to the driver's side window of Ermine Caroga there, and dropped the window net and went at it. You could see him from the pit lane finger in, in the face of Kuroga, and you can tell Brendan was hot, and he was fired up and, and rolling. Brendan had his helmet off. Kuroga was still inside the truck, and from my vantage point on the pit lane, I'm like, this is a one-sided conversation. It truly is. Kuroga just took it. He absolutely took a tongue lashing from Brendan gone. Well, Brendan's okay. He comes across. No, no punches thrown, anything of that nature. Uh, they get back to the, to the infield care center, get checked out. I go back and, and I see Brendan and I, during the, the rest of the race, and I said, man, you gave him the old, uh, remember the baseball manager of the Baltimore Orioles, Earl Weaver. Earl Weaver was famous for those umpire chewings and, and face turning red and vibrating as he's talking. Well, that's what was going on on the racetrack. I said, man, you, you gave him a good old-fashioned Earl Weaver there. And Brendan said, it was all one-sided too because I caught him off guard because I cussed him out and I yelled at him in Spanish. He wasn't expecting that. So... It, it, I just kind of looked at Brendan and I said, okay, that, that's a new one on me. He goes, yeah, I'm fluent in Spanish. He said, I'm fluent and I can speak a lot of different languages. So if you mess with me, I'm going to speak it to you in your words and the words you can understand. It was the funniest thing ever. Uh, I, I found Kiroga and said, man, what happened out there? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I think it was my fault. I haven't seen the replay, but I think it was my fault. I said, so Brendan got to you pretty good. He goes, yeah, Brendan got me real good there. I wasn't expecting that one. So, uh, and Kiroga just had to laugh about it because it was a funny instance. It wasn't funny as it was happening, but after they had a chance to cool down and, and have uh, cooler heads prevail, uh, they got a laugh out of it just because he wasn't expecting what he got from Brendan Gaughan. One of the original Truck Series stars who started in the first season and collected 18 wins over 17 years is Dennis Setzer. But here comes Dennis Setzer, the winner of the Dodge California Truck Stop 300. Quite the opposite of Brendan Gone, Dennis Setzer is much more reserved, but lets his racing do all the talking for him. Fellow racer Travis Quapple says Setzer set a higher standard for the series, but managed to stay humble. Gosh, just a good Southern gentleman, you know? Uh, Hard-nosed racer. And you were right. When you'd go to, to Martinsville and, and, and some of the short tracks, he was he was unbeatable. He was the he was the bar that you measured yourself against. And um, but but again, like a lot of those other veterans, he was always one that was willing to help a younger guy out, give him advice, you know, put you in check if you did something wrong. Um, never uh, so calm and cool. 
and, and um, you know, just Southern gentleman. That's that's probably the best way to, to summarize Dennis Setzer. MRN's Alex Hayden. Setzer was kind of a, a quiet guy. He wasn't the, the most outspoken guy. Now, don't get me wrong. I've seen him get mad, and, and I've seen him get uh, so angry that he starts spewing some some colorful words out, and, and I didn't necessarily see him go grab hold of anybody, but Dennis Setzer was a fiery, quiet guy. He, he wasn't the tallest guy in stature, but Dennis Setzer knew how to get the job done. He was, he was one of the best short track racers uh, in the country, not just in the, in the top three series of NASCAR, but in the country. Uh, he was just great on short tracks. I remember we were racing in, uh, in Mansfield, Ohio, and uh, he, he went out there, took the green flag in the race, and what uh, most people were going to do in, in a single pit stop, it was that type of race in a short track where you could do the race on one pit stop. But the way, uh, the way the circumstances fell and a couple of gambles here and there and uh, a little weather coming into play, Dennis Setzer stayed on the racetrack and, and covering his pit lane. I'm thinking he's got to be coming in this lap. Well, no, he's not. It'll be next lap. Well, it's not that one. Well, and then I'd radio up to the producer of the broadcast and say, I promise you he hasn't made a pit stop yet. He's got to come in at some point. And then once it started to, to unfold what he was doing because his lap times were slowing down, it became very obvious, like, wait a minute, he's, he's going to try to stretch this thing out and, and try to make this without making a pit stop. Uh, Mansfield Speedway was kind of rough on tires, so he, he had to be very careful with the throttle. He couldn't spin the tires up off of the corner. Stood down in the pit, and I finally climbed up on top of the, the pit box and talked to the crew chief and said, seriously, you guys you guys not going to pit in this deal? He just kind of smiled and looked at me and said, nope, we're not pitting. And, and the crew... I'd have loved to have been a pit crew member that day because all you had to do was sit around and watch the race like a race fan uh, because that, that's how good the truck was handling and, more importantly, how good Dennis Setzer was as a driver to be able to, to bring the truck home, back it down, not abuse the tires, and, and win a, a top three National Series race without making a pit stop. MRN's Steve Post. What I remember about Dennis, he had success in a lot of different places, but I am telling you, you put him in a good truck in Martinsville, Virginia, and it was game, set, match. That guy could drive Martinsville like very few others could. And it didn't matter if they did the strategy of staying out and leading every lap, or it didn't matter if they did the strategy and blast and come right up through the field. He would roll that truck through the field, and Jay was a master at that racetrack. I mean, you would go there, and you just would watch him run laps because he was that good around the racetrack. And so a lot of success there for Dennis. He was personality-wise pretty pretty plain Jane, fairly vanilla. Uh, came in, brought his helmet bag in, raced the truck, thanked everyone, thanked his sponsors, thanked the boys back in the shop, and went home. So he never lived an extravagant life. He just kind of came in and did his thing, very workmanlike. Uh, but, boy, when that truck was right, he was he was a good good truck driver. And when that truck was was marginal, even at Martinsville, he could make it a winning truck. Brendan Gaughan is such a fan of Dennis Setzer, he put him in a stratosphere of his own. Dennis Setzer's a god. When it comes to short track racing, there is Zeus, Apollo, and Dennis Setzer. I mean, I'm telling you, the man taught me more in life. Uh, Martinsville, 2002. We missed the show. We qualified 33rd. 32 made the race. They disqualified Dennis Setzer from qualifying. Uh, and he, so it bumped me into the show. We were packing up. And it was going to cost me my sponsorship because Napa, we could not miss a race with Napa in 2003, when we were racing full time. And it was going to cost me my sponsorship. He got thrown out. I got in the race. He passes me on lap three from dead last. And, and I threw it, I threw out the fishing hook and said, hold on and I followed him all the way to fifth place Dennis Setzer won the race from dead last and he dude he is the man the man the myth the legend he is everything he's supposed to be and if it's a short track Dennis Setzer's my hero another truck series original who was a fierce competitor on the racetrack was Bobby Hamilton advantage Bobby Hamilton he pulls away by a truck link hailing from Nashville Tennessee Hamilton broke into NASCAR in unusual fashion. In the late 80s, Hamilton was just a local driver racing at Nashville Speedway when he started getting noticed by big-time cup drivers who came to town, like Darrell Walter and Bill Elliott. His opportunity came in a movie role. Hamilton was asked to drive one of the movie cars in Days of Thunder, and so started his relationship with NASCAR. Once Hamilton finally got his chance, 
He proved he deserved to be there. And Dennis Setzer says he was one of the smartest drivers he ever met. He was a hard-nosed racer, you know, just uh, I think he put 110%. You know, I raced with uh, Danny Gills, my crew chief, who worked for Bobby and trained under Bobby. Marcus Richmond trained under Bobby. I won races with Marcus Richmond as crew chief. So he trained a lot of good, great guys in racing right there as far as crew chief and stuff. And uh, Bobby had talked to me about coming to drive for him there before he had stepped out of the truck. And uh, we did not get together on that deal. And some other things come up for me. So, But a great racer. I admired him a lot for the, 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 the amount of... He probably took bad equipment and run better with it than people with bad equipment you've ever seen. Hand-me-downs and stuff like that. And he was he was smart enough he could make things like that work. Travis Popple says the fact that Hamilton kept his roots in Nashville and won is what he remembers the most. Doing it out of Nashville, uh, you know, assembled his own group of guys, a lot of short track racing guys from from that uh, from from Nashville area, and had Dodge behind him. And they were, man, they were bad to the bone for for a couple of years. They won a bunch of races in the championship. So, and Bobby was just a great guy. Of, of probably, you know, all the guys that, you know, you always talk to the veteran guys about stuff. But man, he was, he was probably the, the he'd be one of those guys that would come to you and try to help you out. You know what I mean? Instead of like going to some of these guys and be like, hey, when I enter this corner, the car, you know, kind of does this. You know, Bobby would Bobby would come to you in just general conversation, and, and just try to you know help you out, and just a great guy, obviously, and you know, um, and, but just what he did to assemble the team um, with the Dodge support coming out of Nashville and and, and winning races, uh, pretty amazing story, and you know what a good dude. MRN turn announcer, Dave Moody. Hamilton was one of my favorite people ever. Bobby Hamilton was just one of my favorite people on the planet. He had an impish, practical joking mentality that you just never knew what was coming next with him. You never wanted to turn your back on Hamilton. If a rubber snake got put in somebody's driver's seat during driver introductions, there was at least a 75% chance that Hamilton was involved. He told the greatest stories in the world. He made more people laugh than anybody in the history of the truck series. And the fact that we lost him at such a young age was just a tragedy. I mean, not only was he a great racer and a great champion that set a ridiculously high bar for the guys that raced against him in the truck series, but he was just so much fun, and I miss him still today. The Truck Series gave local legends the opportunity to show their stuff across the country. Drivers who fans had only heard of from different parts of the country were now coming to tracks all over. One such driver's reputation that preceded him in being in the Truck Series was Rick Corelli, also known as the High Plains Drifter. Corelli drifts up the banking. Resendiz makes contact, but it won't work. The checkered flag flies, and Rick Corelli has won the Coca-Cola 200 here at Bristol Motor Speedway. MRN's Alex Hayden. Uh, Rick Corelli, what a cool guy, and still is to this day. Uh, Rick Corelli was one of the, the guys that would walk through the garage area in the truck series, and I'm not going to say he's the kind that would make everybody stop and look, but he was that type of person that, that demanded presence, and, and he demanded your attention. When he'd come walking by, it's like, oh, man, there's, there's, there's the High Plains Drifter walking by. That's Corelli. Uh, such a, for people on the East Coast, such a, such a lore about it, being that he was a West Coast racer. Uh, we heard all the stories of how great Rick Corelli was on the short tracks in the Midwest and out on the West Coast. But once I got the opportunity to meet him and hang out with him and work with him quite a bit for years, uh, Rick Corelli was just a fantastic guy. He was, he was all business, and he meant business when he was at the racetrack. And if the truck was good, Rick Corelli was going was gonna to win the race. It was Corelli and everybody else. If the truck wasn't quite as good, it might have been a fifth-place truck, Corelli was going to make that a second-place truck, maybe even get a win out of it. Uh, but he got more out of the equipment than a lot of these drivers did. It didn't have to be a perfect truck, and it wasn't going to be a perfect truck more times than not. But Rick Corelli made up for that with the talent that he had behind the wheel. Mike Wallace. I got to know Rick actually way before the truck series, when he was the High Plains Drifter, when he ran a, a short track car out of Denver, Colorado, and had, had Marshall Chesron sponsoring his car, owning his cars. 
he used to come to a place called Lebanon I-44 Speedway over Missouri where I won uh, a national champion or regional championship and uh, he was the first of the guys that had the really cool truck and trailer you know tractor trailer for a late model team he was fast good-looking guy you know black hair all kind of pulled back but it was fast and actually a race car that I won in 1990, we ended up painting a car with a similar paint scheme, different colors, but the same angles that Corelli's car had. And I just, I don't know, you think about people when uh, nicknames are so cool. You know, we don't, we miss that today. We don't have nicknames or, and a, Rick Corelli, High Plains Drifter, you know, and everybody, and they would announce him that way. I mean, he's like, he was this mythical outlaw, you know, that come out, come out of Colorado somewhere, but incredibly nice guy. I, you know, respect the heck out of him. Just hell of a racer. Corelli's career came to a screeching halt at Memphis in 1999. Damaged trunk of Rick Corelli is just behind Compton. In fact, Corelli rides all the way up hard into the outside wall. Rick Corelli coming off the end of the backstretch, goes straight to the outside retaining wall and comes to rest in turn four. Caution is on the speedway. A hard crash in turn three for Rick Corelli. His truck now coasting down the inside of the racetrack. Brendan Gaunt says Corelli's crash changed his life in particular. That was 1999 when he hit the wall, and then we bought the Chesron Racing Assets to start my race team in in January of 2000. So he, the the team, the guy that he drove for, Marshall Chesron, out of Denver, Colorado, um, really nice man. He only was going to race with Rick, and when Rick couldn't race, that was what started my career was buying those those assets. But I was not in that race. I watched it on television later. And, and saw how bad it was. And to this day, I'm, I'm still good friends with Rick Corelli. Love Rick to death. He is one of the 10 nicest people in our sport. Um, the High Plains Drifter, man. I loved watching the High Plains Drifter. I was so bummed that ended his career. Corelli suffered a cracked skull and nerve damage, among other things, which led to a long recovery. He eventually did return to the race car and had a shining moment. On lap traffic, Rick Corelli makes his way into turn four. Behind lap traffic, he has three truck links in front of the second place battle. Rick Corelli is going to win the Kroger 200, his first win of the 2000 season of the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. You know, last year there was doubts in my mind. You know, I says, hey, first thing I've had a lot of good racing career, and, uh, you know, if this is it, this is it. But uh, I kept getting stronger. My eyes start coming back. The doctors believed in me. They told me what would... Uh, take place and uh, everything that came back came back uh, stronger and stronger and stronger and it's uh, when I opened this year and I won Phoenix I go you know what it, it can happen and uh, we just had to have everybody believe and we had you know some bad luck this year we got the motors back and they're running and tonight we had a truck that handled and ran and guys did a great job all the way through and uh, you know what can you say I mean this is something that we all dream for and uh, I had so much emotion when I got that checker flag it was uh, I mean I can't explain it. Another driver that went from a local star to a national image was Texas native David Starr. Musgrave will try and power around Setzer. Here comes Starr looking for a second win. The first was at Vegas. Here they come to the stripe. Checkered flag. Starr gets the win. Alex Hayden. David Starr's a fun guy. He he was one of those guys that that was recognized on the national level because of the truck series. If we didn't have this truck series in competition, chances are we would never even know who David Starr was and a lot of other drivers for that matter because uh, these short trackers that had the opportunity to go truck series racing put them on that stage with the national radio coverage that they got the national television coverage that they got it took your local Saturday night short track racer and turned them into moderate stars if you will some of them became superstars like a Hornaday Sprague or a Skinner. But David Starr, uh, coming from Texas, he had that uh, that Southern drawl about his speak. I mean, he was a cool guy, and, and he enjoyed being at the racetrack, and he understood being uh, mostly an underfinanced driver coming through all the different ranks, and he got some opportunities uh, with Wayne and Kathy Spears and some other top race teams in, in the truck series that he knew how valuable that that coverage was for both radio and television and he understood that he had to say the right things and do the right things and, and David Starr was a he's a handsome man I mean let's call it what he is he's a he's a good-looking guy so he looked good on the camera he looked good when he was 
doing his sponsor appearances or, or the media obligations that he had to do in front of all the cameras. He had that part of it down, and he had that Southern charm about him, and David Starr was fierce when he put a helmet on it and cinched up the, uh, the seatbelts. But uh, David Starr is one of those guys, too, you can walk down the pit lane or through the garage area. It didn't matter what he was doing. Everybody that met David Starr was a friend of David Starr's. And, and even to this day, we can wander uh, up and down any garage, whether it be a Cup or Xfinity or Truck Series garage. Now, if David's around, he's going to stop what he's doing, come out of his way, come over and not just shake hands, but he's going to look you in the eye, pat you on the back, and, and talk to you and, and tell you your name because he knows genuinely who you are and, and that's one thing that that i really admire and respect about david Starr uh is the the friendships that he's made with everybody he's ever come across whether it was a fan whether it was uh, a crew member or us as broadcasters david Starr, once he met you you were his friend and, and i i think the world of david and i and i still respect him to this day for that Ted Musgrave was an already well-known short track ace from the Midwest when he started in the truck series. As Travis Quapple remembers, just hearing Musgrave was in the field made him nervous and excited. Well, I was always a big fan of Ted growing up, being from Wisconsin. Ted was from Wisconsin as well. And, uh, you know, I, I was always a fan when he when he drove the for Jack Roush. And, and I'll never forget, you know, when – here I am, a truck series driver, and they announced Ted Musgrave is going to be in the series. And my first thought was, oh, no, <laughs> you know, like this guy's going to be good. And he was hooked up with Jimmy Smith and Ultra Motorsports, and, and they were dang good. Um, like we touched on earlier, he was within, you know, a, a, a spot or two on the racetrack of winning the championship with against me that day. So, um, you know, just I, I think he's he's one of those – you know, kind of those old school guys that really worked hard, made his way into the sport through the short track ranks, uh, had a lot of success in the Midwest, and, and that's what I admired about him and, and, and always uh, was a fan of Ted's about. Travis Quapple himself was one of those guys who had made a name racing locally and expanded his career when NASCAR came calling. MRN's Steve Post. Travis was pretty quiet, actually. He um, came off the short tracks of Wisconsin, great super late model racer, just an absolutely phenomenal super late model racer, following in the uh, footsteps of Wisconsin greats like Matt Kenseth. I mean, it was he was the next generation of, of Matt Kenseth, and when it came to Wisconsin short track racing, all victory lanes had to go through Travis Klopper. He's just that good. What really stands out to me, the, the, the moment that I'll never forget in my career, is 2003, that was that epic point battle at Homestead where there was four trucks and I think one or two had wrecked out somewhere and there was a late race restart and they were all within a point of each other and they're shuffling and so the race gets over and, and, and in all honesty, I don't even remember where we finished in the race, but um, I was working down there for MRN. I went down there to work for MRN, but, I, but the, the powers to be here at MRN, I said, look, you guys know I'm part-time with you guys, and you guys know one of my other clients is Travis Express Motorsports, Travis Quapel. I said, if he wins the championship or wins the race, then I'm going to need to run from here to there. And everyone was cool with that. Everyone bought into that. Never had any problems with it. Well, sure enough, we're starting to figure the points out on this thing, and it appears to us that he's the champion. But... Everyone wanted to check and double-check and triple-check the points. So we pulled Travis into the spot where the champion was supposed to stop, climb out of the car, champagne confetti, and everything was going to be great. We pulled him there, and then we decided to break out the calculators and do the math again and do the math again. And there was so many questions because you got into laps led and... There, there might have even been a caution so where the trucks were at at the end or something. I, I don't remember. We sat there. He sat in the truck. I'm standing alongside of the truck trying to come up with small talk. But, but what do you do in that moment? What do you say in that moment? So, you know, that was a nice job. Good job. Drove a great race. You know, knowing that we're waiting on this. And I don't know what the duration of time was. It seemed like about forever because we just sat there waiting for the word and we all believed that it was right. In fact, NASCAR had positioned him to the spot on the, the front stretch where the champion was. 
And then finally, uh, one of the NASCAR officials nodded to me, and I was able to, and, and, and Travis saw the, the official nod, and then all hell broke loose then, you know. And it was almost, it was, it was so strange because it was, it was like that anticipation was so frustrating, but that anticipation made the celebration so much better because all the crew guys had already gotten there. You know, they were just standing around. It wasn't like they were running all over the place trying to figure out where to go. We were all in position. Uh, we'd had our hats and shirts and everything else in position. And so when it cut loose, it really cut loose. And the, the, the fun part about that for me was is that while Travis and I, I, I didn't travel much with the team. So I didn't really, I, I knew Travis. I'd talk to him on the phone every week. And I'd go to the close races or the races where I was at with MRN. But I never spent a lot of time with Travis. But at that point, the Truck Series Banquet was the next night. And Travis looks at me at some point during the whole celebration and says, I need you to write my speech for me. And so we are literally in the middle of the night, 3 o'clock in the morning, 3.30 in the morning, at some hotel in Florida, writing a speech. Who did he want to thank? Who from Wisconsin? Who from this team? Who from that? You know, I think it was 8 o'clock that morning. We had teleprompter practice, and we're up doing teleprompter practice. And so it was it was a fun time and then we you know we got all dressed up in the four o'clock did dinner and drinks and and whatever as far as that goes and, and we had we we've actually travis and i still talk about this every time i see him i still see him out of millbridge because his kid races out there his kids race out there and uh he said you know that year was so weird because i felt like i had a pr guy but yet he wasn't around it was a part-time pr guy he said but i am telling you when i needed someone to write a banquet speech you were there uh, we wrote a heck of a good banquet speech that night in the middle of the night in between having a few cr- frosty cold beverages, of course. And uh, it was just uh, one of those neat moments from, from about the checkered flag of that through the banquet and the celebration. You know, what is that? That's probably 30 hours, 36, 32 hours. Uh, that 32 hours of my life is something I'll never forget. Spending it with Travis, just just trying to make sure. And uh, just, you know, he got through the banquet all right. He didn't mess up the speech. And, and uh, we got done. And team owner Steve Coulter had had a nice suite there. And we went and had a few beers afterward. And then we all went on our way. And, you know, I went out with MRN. Travis, went, we all went on our way and called it. <laughs> went on to our next adventure. So it's kind of the, kind of the nature of the way things work. Two of the most interesting people who have dabbled in the truck series are NFL stars Jerry Glanville and Randy Moss. Glanville got involved in racing in the early 90s and had a short career, but is more remembered for his personality in the garage. MRN's Dave Moody. Coach was a lot of fun. He was, as a, as a, as a race car driver, Jerry Glanville was one hell of a football coach. He really did not have a ton of talent behind the wheel. And I know he had some levels of success in super late models and late models and whatever, but he was kind of out of his element by the time he got to the truck series. And I think he probably would admit that now. He tore up a lot of machinery, but man, he was fun. You know, the the only thing missing from Jerry Glanville in the truck series garage was a can of beer in his hand. And if they would have let him have that, he probably would have done it. He was out there. He was an old school racer that was out there to do the best he could. But by golly, he was going to have fun doing it one way or another. Dennis Setzer says Glanville knew the right people. And other than spending a lot of money, he just had fun. He was a jewel. He was still racing in the truck season. Fun guy to be around. He was so funny. He, I guess he was really good friends with Ernie Elliott because like when Jerry came to the track, he had a motor that would go like you wouldn't believe right there. Now, Jerry was very well prepared when he came to the track. I don't know if he ever planned on going through inspection with it or not, but he was very well prepared motor-wise and whatever. And spent a lot of money. Had some pretty nice equipment. Norm Benning has the same memory of Glanville as Setzer. Oh, yeah. He, he was a comedian. He was fun to be around, you know. And I remember one night he invited us out, a bunch of my crew and a bunch of other people. It was probably 20, 25 people. We went over to the restaurant, had a big round table, all sit at this one table. And we go in there and we all sit down, and as soon as we sat down, he stood up. And he said, now listen guys, here's the rules. We all get to tell three lies and then we're going home. <laughs> and that's what we did. <laughs> he told stories about, he was he got in an argument with a sheik, and went over to, I don't know where he went, Egypt or something, to race this sheik on camels and then he said the sheik 
fixed him up with a camel that kept biting him and spitting on him. <laughs> he said, I was going to beat that guy, but that camel just didn't want any parts of me. He said, he turned around and spit right in my face. MRN announcer Fred Armstrong says Glanville's sense of humor shouldn't mask his real desire to be successful. Jerry was really interesting. Jerry uh, was uh, came to our uh, news conference, and the first question I ever asked Jerry Glanville in front of the press <laughs> He looked at me and he said, that question was too long. <laughs> so I rephrased it, but that was Jerry. Um, he was pretty darn serious. You know, you, you back back in the day that he was racing, uh, there were a lot of placeholder drivers. You know, Scott Legacy and folks who just, they were in, they were out. You know, and they were, they were just there short. But Jerry was doggone serious about it. And uh, he reached out to us before the race and said, hey, I want to do your press conference. And we're like, well, coach, you bet. Sure. Come on down. Uh, so uh, but after the first year, he got very aggressive with um, looking for money. And he started, we got proposals from him and he would contact us and say, uh, who can I talk to in your area? You got to set me up with somebody. I need some money to race. So, you know, he wanted the race. And when I first heard about Jerry Glendale, I thought, well, this is just one of those deals where, you know, we got a lot of folks who are going to kind of cycle through this and the teams have to put somebody in there. And, but he was doggone serious. And uh, uh, he, I, I remember it was a couple of years later, even, uh, that he was still very aggressively out uh, trying to rustle up some money and race. And he wanted to race. And that really just kind of struck me as, as interesting because he's an interesting guy and done a lot through his life. But, man, once he got behind the wheel of a truck, he wanted to keep going and nothing was going to stop him. Ultimately, they weren't able to, they were not successful, but not for lack of trying. Randy Moss announced in April of 2008 he was forming Randy Moss Motorsports in the truck series with David Dollar, a longtime racing fan. Randy Moss says he saw an opportunity to get involved and took it. Grew up around a, a dirt track racing in West Virginia, and you know, being a country boy, no matter what the color of your skin is, I think that you love and, and adapt to country, country things in the country setting. So, by me being able to branch off until you know my career, my profes profession as a football player, I always still had a little little niche and little itch, just being. You know, just going fast, going around the track, doing donuts and things like that. So the opportunity came for me to to be able to get into the NASCAR. And with the three series, I thought that the truck series was the, the best avenue for me to, to travel down. So with teaming up with David Dollar, and uh, he's an established owner in, a, in, in NASCAR, the trucking series, I thought that, you know, by me teaming up with him and, and his history and me and my passion of, of what I really love and, and, and believe in, I think that it goes hand to hand. So for us to be able to team up and, you know, a lot of things has, has, has happened to me, you know, good things and bad things. But I think the overall picture with NASCAR, man, is just being able to, to, to come in week in and week out, race, have fun with people, meet people, um, have meetings, talk to the radios, meet new people, stuff like that. So NASCAR is a is a a, a big pedestal that a lot of things happen, and I and, and I'm ready to embrace that. And I'm I'm just happy just to be a part of this. And you know, as an owner, to be able to come in and and, and see the lights and hear the guys and see the guys, especially me. MRN's Woody Kane says after interviewing Moss, one of the things that surprised him the most was how much he knew about the sport. He grew up a race fan. And you don't think about the football world and the racing world crossing paths all that much, but in his case, they really did. And the one thing that I really remember about that interview, other than how friendly and genuine he was and what a, what a good conversationalist he was, was his hands. His hands are as big as one of these nets they use to catch fish with. Like if you catch it on the side of the boat and you dip in there to get the fish out, that's how big Randy Moss's hands are. The, the, the football must look like a vitamin pill in his hands. That's how giant he, he is and how, obviously, how he was so good. One of the reasons he was so good as a football player 
he was just as genuine and as much involved as a race fan as could be. He always, he could tell you historical things. You know, I remember watching this guy or that guy back in the day, and that's what led him to get into it. He was genuinely interested, not seeing it as a financial opportunity necessarily or in a way to, you know, boost his own fame or anything like that. He loves racing and wanted to be involved, and that was what was really cool about talking to him. Randy Moss Motorsports was only in operation for four years. They collected three wins and had a number of different drivers in the seat for multiple races, or even just one, such as Jimmy Johnson, Mike Skinner, David Starr, and Travis Quapple. Quapple says Moss was at the track more than the race shop, but was very involved. David Dollar was here in North Carolina in Statesville, um, you know, running it day to day. And, and, and Randy was one of those guys, that he, I don't think he, I don't know if he ever came to the race shop, but he would come to the racetrack. And uh, he probably came to seven, five, you know, races throughout the season. And uh, he'd have a motorhome there and hang out. And uh, he was definitely more in tuned to it than I expected. You know, I kind of thought maybe they just attached his name to this team and, you know, try to attract sponsorship and, you know, got somebody with some notoriety. But he was really into it. He really cared about it. Um, he wanted to know what I needed, you know, things, areas to improve with on the team. So. And it was just cool, you know. He, he was he was a good guy, um, very down to earth, and uh, it was a lot of fun to hang out with him for sure. MRN's Alex Hayden says he too thought Moss would just be a name. It became for what I thought initially it was going to be. Okay, here's a, here's a celebrity that just kind of wants to be involved and and get his feet wet, maybe make a little money in, in NASCAR. Okay, I get it. That's that's a cool thing to do. But after talking to him and meeting him that very first time, I knew there was a lot more to it than that. Uh, Randy Moss wanted checkered flags. He wanted to win races, and, and he was very serious about it. Uh, I remember at Iowa Speedway, we were racing the trucks there, and Randy came walking down the pit lane. Of course, you know, Randy's well over six feet tall, and he, I mean, he's an NFL Hall of Famer, and he has that air about him that this is somebody that's just great. Uh, and you get that. It doesn't necessarily have to be great because he's a football player, but he's that type of person that was just great. And he came walking down pit road, and I had his pit box. As a matter of fact, his race team's pit box. He came walking in. He didn't come in and, and say, I'm mightier than everybody else. Get off the top of the pit box. I'm coming up here to sit down. No, he stood at the back. And then he, he watched the, the timing and scoring monitors because people who don't grow up in racing and are relatively new to the sport, that's one of the things on pit road that you can tell. Are they racers or are they just people in this sport? Because racers go to that timing and scoring monitor on the pit box and they want to see lap times. It doesn't give you speeds. It doesn't give you all that stuff. It gives you lap times. Your best, your last lap time, your gap on what you did in between laps, however the team sets it up. And Randy Moss was intent. He stood there and watched that lap time. And it was another example of how I knew that this guy was serious about NASCAR racing. And then he'd mosey off to the side, go up and stand on the wall. He wanted to see some action while he was there. He had the headset on the radio. He was in communication with the driver, but I never saw him push the button and talk to anybody. He just wanted to monitor and be a part and, and know exactly what was going on with his race team. But Randy Moss was just a cool guy to be around, and, and we were lucky in the truck series to have him uh, with us in the duration that he was. On the next episode of MRN Presents the Tough Trucks of NASCAR, 25 years of still trucking, we cover the drivers who have used the truck series as a developmental stepping stone in their career and those who have moved up to become NASCAR stars. Until next time, I'm Mike Bagley. Today's program was a presentation of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina and Daytona Beach, Florida. The Tough Trucks of NASCAR, 25 years in still trucking, was written and produced by Alexa Henrian. Any use of the accounts or descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network.